We are going to energize the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the debated podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. I'm joined by my co-host, Conrad. Hello. And in this episode, uh, the first in our look at local election winners, people who stood in the most recent set of local elections and uh, won election in them, uh, we're delighted to be joined by Ryan Simpson, uh, the Conservative Party councillor for Sherborne Ward in Coventry. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Hello there. Um, So the first question uh, that I'd like to ask is, what made you decide to stand for this particular council seat? Yeah, it's a great question and one that I've had uh, to answer plenty of times on the doorstep. Um, Some people can't understand why or if anyone would want to be a councillor. But for me, I've been studying politics um, as part of my degree for the last three years now. And I've always found the academic side to be so abstract and aloof from what the real world looks like. And then whenever I got involved in campaigning with the local Conservative Party, it just felt so much more real, um, actual issues, actual politics, and going out talking to real people. Um, and really that's sort of been the driver um, for me, you know, sitting at a desk studying abstract political concepts, but then going out knocking on doors, talking to people, dealing with real issues. And um, that's what drove me to stand. I think we need more people who are concerned about the micro rather than the macro. Obviously, the local elections were a bumper set of elections and half of them had been the ones that were delayed from 2020, your election being one of those. Um, How did you think that the delay in the elections affected the campaign? A particular burden for us as candidates. I don't don't think it um, had much of an effect on the voters. Uh, We didn't really notice and really know that some of the elections had been delayed. They just saw it as another routine set of elections. Um, But for us, the instability um, was huge. Um, that extra year um, was was difficult because we were still going out there doing things in the community, but we just didn't know when we were going to be up for election. Um, and whenever the uh, third peak came in January, um, that was a huge blow for me. And what I had to do was just take my mind off the election entirely um, to not get sucked in by a lot of the drama on Twitter about, oh, is there going to be elections or not? Um, but then once we got that, full confirmation, yes, we are going to have elections. Um, that was a huge boost. I think that was for most parties. We all just got straight stuck in um, stuck in with it. Uh, what do you think during the campaign was your main focus in terms of the message that you uh, wanted to drive home to voters? I mean, to get beyond policy, I mean, what we really need, or I was certainly trying to drive home, was that I am out here doing stuff. So many people do not see their local representatives out there doing something in their community. I mean, I, I, this morning I was out at a community litter pick and someone was asking me, who and you know, who and our far you come around the estate uh, litter pick and judiciary? I said, like, no, I'm your local councillor. And the look on her face suggested that this was the last person she had expected to see out litter picking on her street was her local councillor. And that's what I wanted to demonstrate is I am out here in the community um, resolving issues for you. I'm not, you know, 
coming out at election time and then burrowing myself away until it comes to re-election. Your, your council seats have seen a large swing in favour of the Conservatives, as in common with lots of areas in the Midlands and the North. Um, in 2016, the Conservatives came third with 18% and you won with 42%. Um, what are the reasons you think that there's been such a swing in your seat and others like it? So some of the effect has been to do with Brexit. Um, my seat uh, registered about 60% to leave and the European Union. And that is still felt um, out there in my ward. People who felt they weren't being listened to. And then this feeds into the wider um, politics that people just feel so disconnected from their politicians. Um, and traditional Labour voters, people who go to Labour all their life were turning to me because, you know, you're, you are the first you know, person who's knocked on my door in 10 years, um, you know, and that that was a huge boost for me. Um, but it has, there's a great sense of neglect out there. Um, and we have got, a lot of politicians have got to, you know, shape up and start going out there and talking to people because people want to hear from us um, and they are feeling utterly left behind. I, I, I know it's an overused phrase, but they really are feeling left behind out there. And that was one of the reasons that we had such a huge swing uh, is because we've had people in this party going out into Sherborne uh, and talking to people and dealing with issues. Why do you think that there has been in areas like, as you mentioned, in Sherborne, a lack of engagement between politicians and the public? Do you think that it's uh, just part of the change in political culture that we've seen over the past 20 years? Or do you think that it's something specific that has prevented politicians from getting out and, and speaking to voters? I think both are correct, but in their own specific way. So I think to take first, yes, there is, I think, something far more fundamental and structural out there about how voters connect with um, their politicians. Um, I think that a lot of the time with the way political parties select candidates, um, it's probably quite a mean way to put it, but some people in political parties are just hobbyists. They just enjoy politics and don't mm-hmm. actually care about dealing with issues. And they get selected for seats because, you know, there aren't any other people. I think one of the big ones is actually to come down to pay. I mean, if you are an intellectual person who can, you know, get stuck into local government, you're not in local government, you're in the private sector because you can get um, paid an awful lot more. Um, Why would you waste your spare time um, when you can use your time slightly more productively for yourself? Um, So I think that has been a big issue um, in the way that, candidates are found and picked and selected. Another thing is also social media. I mean, certainly in the last year, because we've been unable to do as much face-to-face campaigning, politicians have relied so much on social media to connect with voters. That isn't the same. I think some of us in political parties see contact with voters through social media as on the same level as knocking on their door, and it very much isn't. A lot of people out there who do not um, qualify um, social media engagement as actual engagement with voters. We've still got to be out there talking to people and delivering leaflets. Now, yours wasn't one, the only election in in Coventry, um, obviously you had the rest of the council elections, but you also had the West Midlands mayoral election, of which Coventry forms a part of. Um, Conservative Andy Street increased his majority overall and in, um, increased his votes in Coventry. Um, how did you feel running alongside Andy Street? In, it was, um, was a benefit to your campaign. It was definitely a benefit to my campaign. Um, having that more local conservative representative who deals with some of the larger issues, um, particularly around transport, 
Um, so one of the joint campaign pledges that um, Andy and I had was to build a train station. Um, in my work, it was closed down in the 60s, uh, but we were campaigning to bring it back as part of his 14 billion pound transport plan. Um, so we did a lot to do with that. Um, in the community that featured heavily on our, uh, on our leaflets. Um, so being able to have, um, or being able to speak to someone um, who can actually deal with those issues, I think was certainly of benefit to the voters, because um, it's not just me coming with big grand projects, and they've also got the mayor who really can help deal with that. So uh, absolutely huge benefits to the campaign locally. And of course, um, another thing that it seemed to benefit the Conservatives at this set of elections has been the so-called vaccine boost, the ability uh, of people to get the vaccine and to be um, vaccinated against coronavirus. To what extent do you think that that helped your campaign and also helped the Conservatives across the country? I think it definitely helped. Um, now, obviously, what we couldn't avoid on the doorstep is talking about the government's response to the pandemic. Um, that was always inevitable for people. What I actually got, certainly in Sherborne, was that people were, they admitted, yes, of course, the government's made mistakes, um, but they've really got this right, really when it mattered, and they're extremely grateful for um, the vaccine programme, because the vaccine programme literally touches people. Um, it isn't just some sort of abstract policy that we announce, you know, we're spending this, much billion, this many billions on this particular policy. You know, people really have seen and felt the benefit of the vaccination program. So it's a very, it's been a very powerful um, thing that people have um, been able to sort of, when thinking about who they're going to vote for, that is weighing very heavily um, on their minds. Uh, and yeah, it was definitely a huge boost um, to us. In terms of the pandemic, obviously you had the elections delayed and you had your campaign beforehand and then a gap and then your campaign afterwards once campaigning was restarted um for the for in the in this year how did you feel the sort of campaign was affected in terms of on the doorstep what things did you do differently after the the break and after you after you got back on the doorsteps mm -hmm. um yeah it's, it's been extremely stop start this campaign i mean it's, it's effectively been a 18 months campaign. It's, it's felt like a presidential primary to be honest um, with the amount of time that's been spent just on one election. But what we had, or what we did over the summer of 2020, since we couldn't knock on doors, um, we put out a survey uh, for people to fill in so they were still able to feed back to us. Uh, we did do an awful lot more on social media um, because as much as it is a lower tier way of campaigning, we had to do it to connect with people. Uh, particularly on Facebook, I find is um, the best place to be for that. Um, but it's also been tricky because whenever the second lockdown came, I had thousands of leaflets printed and suddenly I couldn't get them out. And they were time sensitive as they were tied to a petition that was closing soon. So I was, you know, I was out of pocket for 5,000 leaflets. They just didn't get out. Um, and that's been a real problem. Um, it's because we've been unable to plan effectively, especially after that happened, we were much more cautious of like, let's not print anything um, time sensitive. Let's make sure everything's a lot more flexible. Um, all leaflets were described in seasons instead of months um, to give us a bit more leniency. But as soon as we were back on the doorstep, um, I was expecting to be some hesitancy out there, but there was absolutely none. Everyone was very welcoming to get chatting to someone new. I think after being stuck in the house, having someone new and different coming to your door was uh, uh, quite helpful. <laughs> to what extent did you see the um, priorities of people from when you 
first started um, campaigning to the end of the result change? Or did you see a consistency in the uh, priorities that local residents had in what they wanted their local councillor and their local council to do? There was effectively no change. Um, from before the pandemic and after the pandemic, right after the election, it was the same. It was, I want my bins collected properly. I want that pothole down that road. I want that fixed. Um, you know, there's cars speeding on that road. They were still the same. Uh, people still want those fixed. Uh, obviously, it depended on what the big news of uh, the news was of the day. Um, you know, if there was a big story, people would talk about that. Um, the, the government's response to the pandemic came up every now and again. I think that was hard to miss. Um, but people were still very much concerned about the local issues. Um, and I think that was borne out in the turnout. I mean, turnout is usually a consistent 26, 27 uh, percent in my ward over the past decade. And suddenly it's jumped to 34 percent. Um, that is a significant jump. Um, but people were still engaged in the local issues. So as much as this was a bumper set of local elections, and it was a vote on the government's handling of the pandemic, people were still very much concerned about the, the local issues out there. Conservatives gained seats on Coventry City Council, but is still under Labour control as it stands. Um, as an opposition councillor, um, what ways are you going to hold the Labour administration to account over the next few years? Yeah, I mean, I'm already getting stuck into that at the minute. Um, so I've been appointed to two scrutiny committees, so they will keep me busy um, and ensuring that the Labour Party don't get away with uh, too much on the council. Um, there's obviously, we have full chamber um, every, every six weeks we have. Um, that's the time where we can propose written questions and responses from cabinet members um, over their brief um, at the minute, I have, so next week actually, I am opposing the construction of a car dealership on a very polluted road in my ward, uh, which goes against um, the council's own air quality plan, things like that. Um, just taking it to committee, making speeches, going out there, getting the community activated. Um, I'm, I'm a particular fan of using petitions. Uh, petitions are a very strong way of demonstrating public um, opposition to what the council is doing. Uh, I've used a few in my time. And now that I'm a councillor, I can now present them um, in full council and at specific committees where they matter uh, in front of the portfolio holders in the council. And they have to directly respond to that. Now, as you both mentioned there, uh, obviously you as a Conservative uh, councillor are in opposition to uh, the Labour administration on Coventry Council, but of course we have a, uh, a Conservative government. To what extent is there a sense of... Um, uh, perhaps tension in, in, in between the fact that there is a Conservative government but uh, the council is a, a Labour council? Because, of course, uh, the Labour council uh, might argue that in terms of things like potholes or whatever, that they're not getting uh, the support from uh, from your party, from the Conservative party, at a government level, uh, giving them the uh, investment to be able to implement them th those kind of things. How does that um, make you feel and how do you respond to that in terms of that kind of uh, tension between the authority that you have at a, a local level and the authority that you have at a, a government level? It is it is difficult. Um, so whenever we knock on doors, we talk to people. Um, if any ways they want to blame us for the problems, because after all, the Conservative Party is in power, we're 11 years in the government. Um, but they know that the, that the Labour Party is also 11 years into power on the council. Um, now, I have found that most of the blame is shouldered by the council. 
I, I don't know if that's a very British thing to always just blame things in the council. It is a very genuine um, people blame the way that the council's being run. Um, but certainly the charge from the council administration when it comes to a lack of support or where they're unable to um, fill in certain potholes is a good example. Um, they do point to a decade of austerity um, and in real term budget cuts. But I mean, if you look at over the course of the pandemic here, um, Coventry City Council has never received more money um, from the central government. Um, so whenever we have a Labour Party here um, crying out that they're strapped for cash, that simply isn't true because they've never been better off. We're now going to take a short break to listen to a trailer for the Politics of Sound podcast episode with Marc Francois. We'll be back in a moment. Do you want to see your politicians from a different angle? It's time for the Politics of Sound podcast. I believe that people's record collections can reveal a lot about them, and so every month I invite politicians and political figures to reveal their three all-time favourite albums, and in exchange, I want to know all about them and their lives, what they think, and why they think it. My guest this month is the controversial politician and chairman of the ERG group, Marc Francois. So why not join me, Ian Carnegie, my guests and the house band on the Politics of Sound podcast, out now on Global Player or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, um, obviously, as you said, you're going to have run-ins with the local Labour Party as an opposition councillor, but um, with Coventry City's council's way of electing, election thirds, so there are two other councillors for Sherborne who are currently both Labour. Um, how do you envisage working with your fellow ward councillors across party lines? Oh, I, I personally don't see any problems at all. Um, from what I've learned, even just in the short time that I've been a councillor, is um, everyone is very friendly uh, and there's very little partisanship um, behind the scenes. We all we, we, we do all get along. Um, I haven't actually had a chance to meet my um, ward colleagues yet, um, but I have spoken to other um, neighbouring Labour councillors and they are lovely and they've been very welcoming um, as, um, for me as a new incoming councillor. There's a, a nice sense of uh, camaraderie um, regardless of party line, so I, I have no doubt um, that I'll still be able to work well with my ward colleagues, even though I, I do campaign to oust them from office um, at the same time, I still think there's, um, I still think we'll get along very well. In terms of some of the um, wider uh, political issues, obviously, as we've mentioned, um, the coronavirus pandemic is uh, uh, continuing, though it is uh, abating um, to a certain degree. Obviously, there has been a great talk about uh, potential public inquiries into uh, failings or otherwise of the government in dealing uh, with the um, coronavirus pandemic. But looking forward into the future, how do you think uh, we now uh, will will look back on uh, the pandemic and the way that uh, the government dealt with it? I think, I, do, I still don't think we fully know what long-term effects are going to have, the pandemic is going to have had. I mean, there are certain small things in the way that people behave. Um, certainly large crowds is going to be a difficult one to adjust back to because I'm so used to distancing. Um, I've been avoiding public transport um, for about a year now. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to start going back on public transport. I've enjoyed walking and cycling everywhere now. Um, but then obviously, you know, there are the big macro concerns. Um, what, 
one of the things uh, I've been paying attention to because I'm into my uh, economics is uh, is inflation going to return finally? Um, I think that's one to watch personally. Um, I mean, the inquiry will happen and they will obviously point to big mistakes that were made. Um, but I don't think any other administration could have avoided them. Um, there are problems in the way that the civil service handles these things. Um, and state apparatus is a very bad term for it. But you know, I, think, I think that is probably going to shoulder most of the blame for some of the failings that have occurred. But, but there have also been great successes. Uh, the furlough scheme, the furlough scheme saved me um, having worked in hospitality and retail. Um, and obviously, as been mentioned, um, the vaccination program. Um, there have been so many successes as well um, in the way that this government has handled things. Um, but yes, and inevitably there are going to be problems that we're going to be talking about for several years. Uh, and the way that governments respond to big challenges, uh, climate change is another one. Um, how is the government going to be able to coordinate um, uh, measures to mitigate climate change um, if it's struggling to do so with the pandemic? We'll see. Now, returning to local issues, um, this year Coventry is the city of culture. Um, obviously, it's going to maybe not the same way of, that it was originally going to be when it was awarded due to the coronavirus. But um, how do you feel that this is brings opportunities and highlights what's good about Coventry? Yeah, Coventry is definitely a place on the up. Um, it is the Phoenix city. Um, whenever it gets knocked down, it always finds a way of bouncing back. Um, I think it is going to be challenging. Um, I mean, when we think of culture, we think of you know bringing people together um, for events. That's going to be tricky. Um, I mean, there there are plenty of events planned, um, which I think is the right thing to do. It's right to put those events out there, and then if we need if more restrictions come further down the line or reintroduce them, obviously, yeah, we'll have to readjust those. But I think it's going to be a great year for Coventry, regardless. Um, have to showcase what's going on here. Um, I was going to say what was happening today. Um, I'm going to pop off to actually after this is that there's a farmers market and we have this beautiful medieval street in Coventry and um, survived much of the bombing um, during the war. And uh, what they've set up is a farmers market there today as a sort of trial run um, for eventually setting up a, a Christmas market, and um, it's going to feature quite heavily as part of the city of culture. I think stuff like that that brings people together and brings people into the city centre. One of the big problems we have here is getting people into the city centre involved um, in our local heritage and what the city has to offer people don't come. But it's with these kind of events that we can attract people, even in the city and from without, um, to really engage with what the city has to offer. Now, um, yeah, as, 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 um, as your election means you're the youngest councillor on Coventry City Council, um, how do you feel like a, having an experience of being a young person sort of brings a different voice into the council? I think it's going to be extremely important. Um, I mentioned this in my acceptance speech um, whenever I was elected. Um, but, uh, in Coventry, we've got Coventry University and, and the University of Warwick. We have a huge student population in this city. Um, and they now have a direct representation on the council. That is a huge asset. Uh, and as soon as I made that speech, I had people who had been helping count the votes whenever they had finished, they came up to me um, who were students. Uh, and I found it absolutely fascinating um, that someone like them was now a city councillor. Uh, I think it's going to be a huge thing for us um, to have someone with that perspective because so many of the issues we have involve students. All the city centre redevelopment, we have public transport, 
they all affect students. And finally, we're going to have someone who actually is a student on the city council and is able to add their voice. Uh, it isn't just people in suits who think they know what students want. Do you find that in, there's a divide between students and locals, as it were, in, in Coventry, as, as, as can be reported in some student towns? Hugely, yeah. Um, there has been very little effort to bond the local um, incumbent community in Coventry to the student community. Um, and that, that has largely been because of the way that housing is being sourced for students, um, certainly around the University of Warwick. Um, increasingly, um, huge family homes are being bought at extremely high prices turned into seven bedroom or eight bedroom homes and then let out to students. Um, and it's absolutely destroying some of the communities around there. Um, but there have, there have been successes. I, I, know, I know at Warwick they have Warwick volunteering and they've been involved in litter picks. I've met a few of them already. Um, and some of the um, food hubs around the university, there's quite a, um, quite a deprived area around, um, next to the university that some of the students live in and they've been reaching out to the community. There have been some success stories, but on the whole, the engagement with the students um, and with the wider community hasn't been strong. Uh, and there are certain elements of resentment out there from some people who see this huge change and then see other problems and link the two. And that, that, that's been quite tricky to adjust that mindset of people. What kind of advice would you give to someone who is um, relatively uh, young and wanting to stand for elected office, whether it be for a uh, council seat or some other post? Uh, my advice is that if you want to stand for council, you have to want to stand for council. You cannot see this as some stepping stone to becoming um, PM or something. There are, there are too many young people out there involved in politics who just want to get to the top for whatever reason uh, and just want to use council seats as a way of advancing their political career. Um, if you're in it for that, you're not going to enjoy it because, um, I mean, from <laughs> the work I've already done, which is dealing with potholes, um, cutting down trees, uh, air quality reports, it is not glamorous. Um, I enjoy it, but if you're someone who just wants to run for the top job, you're not going to enjoy it. I advise you to stay away because you will only do harm to your community. Now, obviously, you say that you, you, you enjoy your council role, but um, looking long term in the future, would you ever be interested in moving to like an MP or moving into a different role in politics? Oh, certainly someday. Um, I mean, I'm... So I'm, I'm, I'm just graduating, um, but graduation isn't particularly fun at the minute. Um, given the labour market, uh, I'm hoping to take some time out and if coronavirus allows to travel. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to do a real job. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what that is yet, but I don't want to become a career politician who, you know, lives from election to election. Um, I, I don't think that's really contributing um, to my community. I you know council role we'll see where that goes um <laughs> at the end of my three-year term i could absolutely hit it uh, and not want to do it anymore but i think um, i mean so far from what i've been able to do i've thoroughly enjoyed it um, and hope it's something i'll be able to keep on for a while um but you know perhaps someday I, i've always enjoyed politics um i think if i wanted to go any higher in politics it would be uh, more behind the scenes role rather than an elected position um, but we'll see where we go with that <laughs> Uh, we're coming towards the end of the podcast and uh, great speaking to you, uh, Ryan. And I've got one 
final uh, question. Obviously, we've discussed uh, the coronavirus pandemic at um, great length. And it, of course, as you mentioned, as we've mentioned throughout the podcast, affected all of our lives. So my final question to you is this. What one thing are you most looking forward to being able to do once things are back to normal? Travel. Travel for certain. Um, I, I had several holidays planned um, as university wound down um, and I've been able to do none of them. Although I can say I'm going to Wales next weekend to see a friend. So uh, I, I'm probably looking forward to a lot more domestic travel um, this summer. Um, so I get to see an awful lot more of our beautiful country. So I suppose that's a, a brilliant thing that's um, coming from the easing of the Well, that sounds uh, fantastic. I hope you enjoy uh, your trip to Wales. And I'm sure uh, all our listeners uh, would agree that being able to travel around uh, Britain again is something that we're all looking forward to. If people want to find out more about you and uh, about what you're doing as a, a local councillor, where should they go to find out more about you? Uh, Facebook is the best bet. Um, I, I don't really use Twitter uh, and my Instagram isn't very political, um, but I do have a councillor Ryan Simpson Facebook page, um, which is very accessible. Um, so everyone should be able to find out if they wouldn't put that on Facebook. Excellent. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast. That's been brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast, like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast, or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, I hope you listen to the next one.